Good morning, everyone. Friends, looking at our first reading from the prophet Isaiah, prophet Isaiah is speaking uh, to the people of Jerusalem in this particular case. And um, at that time, Jerusalem had been laid to waste, and many were taken into slavery and exile. Uh, so the people needed a word of hope. Now, uh, the people had kind of gotten themselves into their own situation, and God allowed them then to feel the consequences of their decisions. But yet his prophet comes and speaks to them and gives them a message of hope. And the picture that they draw is that a time will come, a new time will come, and it will be like newlyweds. I mean, God and his people, they'll be dewy and sparkly and all in love and everything will be perfect. And it would be that. We in the Christian world look through the lens of Christianity at the Old Testament and what Isaiah was saying, and Isaiah was saying this Messiah will come, and that Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ. He is the one that was predicted. He is the one that will be the new. And um, we see from John's gospel, and remember John writes with allegory and he writes with great symbolism. And uh, so we can look at John's account that uh, we look at this day in the life from three different ways, from three perspectives, and uh, each of them have something to teach us. First, the story of the wedding feast of Cana is a very human story and a very relatable one. It involves a very human predicament. There's a problem, and in this case, this problem can cause that family to be scorned by their neighbors and great embarrassment. And if nothing else, we can all relate to something embarrassing. Jesus works what uh, John calls his first public sign. Many people call it miracles, but John calls it sign. So his first sign in favor of a young bride and groom. His understanding and his compassion rescue this young couple and their families from humiliation and scorn on this great day, a wedding day. Friends, uh, sometimes in talking, some people think that the Lord should have chosen a more dramatic occasion uh, for his first public miracle, as I would call it, but again, John refers to it as a size. But he did not. He chose what he chose. And his choice turned out to be a young couple on their wedding day. And so to all the young people, young couple, married couples, and families in general, take note how important you must be in the priority of Jesus Christ, that he would do this. Second, we find support in this gospel account uh, for the Catholic tradition of going to God through the Son's blessed mother, Mary, of bringing our needs to Jesus through Mary of Nazareth, Mary, the mother of the Son of God. Her influence with her son is shown in this event in Cana. Mary notices first, we don't know how, but she does, she notices first that there is an impending problem. To spare the family great embarrassment, she quietly goes to her son Jesus and merely apprises him of the situation. Though obviously hoping he will intervene, she does not demand it of him. She simply tells her son, there is a problem. Do what you do. She simply acquaints him of the fact and leaves the matters completely into his hands. In doing so, 
Mary provides us with a perfect role model for prayer. Mere mention of need is enough with God. God knows what it is that is needed, and we should trust him that he will act on our best interest in the matter. It may not be what you want, but it will be what is necessary. And my friends, Mary says only five words in all in this account in John's Gospel, but they constitute the best advice that could ever be offered. Do whatever he tells you to do. As a holy woman, as a good mom, she does what all parents should do for their children. Give them sound advice. However, it may be said that Mary brings forward the hour of Christ's public ministry. That is, so to speak, she persuades Jesus to do this and to do so in favor of ordinary folks like ourselves. My friends, it is said of a Jewish mother, they get what they want. No one changes God's mind. But apparently Jesus was listening to his mom. And again, she never demanded. She just said, they're having a problem, son. Do what you do for them. My friends, I want to make note about Mary. Mary was there when Jesus, the Son of God, enters flesh and comes into our world. She was there then, now we hear from this account, when his public ministry happens. He performs a miracle, or if you will, a sign. She was there when the town called her and said, your son is crazy, come collect him. She was there when the world did this. She was there at the beginning of his public ministry. She was there at the end of his public ministry. She was there when he entered into this world in the flesh. And she was there when he left this world in the flesh. She was there with him always. Always. Always when we look to Mary, we see. But we always remember in relation to her son. It is always in relation to her son. That's the way she wants it. That is the way her son wants it. That is the way the Father in heaven desires it too. But now that she is in heaven, and she is the queen of the angels and saints, and she shares her son's glory, is she not all that more empowered to persuade her son to look with loving kindness on our needs? Because, you know, we get, as Catholics, hit hard. Why do you keep calling my Mary? Well, I've just told you why. She's a good mom and a holy mom. My friends, the third, we may ask the meaning of the sign in terms of the person of Jesus Christ. For in this question's answer lies the main lesson of the story of Cana for all of us. The gospel writer John, the beloved, says Jesus did this as the beginning, meaning the first of his signs, and so revealed his glory. Now, Jesus was all about the Father. Everything he did and said was to the glory of the Father, but John was very pointed. He did this to reveal his glory. The ultimate glory would be revealed 
when this happens. But John says he first did this. John certainly means that the miracle of the changing of the water into the wine is the first public sign of something. What is it a sign of? It is a sign of the fulfillment of what Isaiah was saying. The Messiah is coming. And in this case, he is here. It's the first public sign of Jesus' Messiahship. This sign and subsequent signs, as John calls them, of Jesus are signs of the presence of the Messiah and thus the Messianic age and the signs of our Lord's true nature as the Son of God. In John's Gospel, the sign that inaugurated the public life of ministry of Jesus of Nazareth is carefully balanced with yet another even more spectacular sign or miracle at the end of his life. Jesus' first sign at the wedding feast of Cana consisted of changing people and their family from humiliation. Jesus' last miracle at the Paschal Feast, which we call the Last Supper, involved transforming wine into his own precious blood. The shedding of his blood, his sacrifice, would thus save many from their sins and even more gloriously extend eternal life to all who will follow him. There is symbolism found in the six stone jars also. In Hebrew understanding, the number six is imperfect or incomplete, whereas seven is complete or perfect. Six stone jars are mentioned. John already knows what he's doing. And they symbolize the imperfection and the incompleteness of the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments were not complete. They were not the all in all. As a matter of fact, uh, they were just the beginning. As Jesus said, I've come to bring fulfillment to them. With the arrival of the Messiah, the imperfections of the law of the Old Testament is history. And Jesus puts in its place the new wine of the gospel of his grace. And if you want to see it in its full color, go and read the Beatitudes. That is not a commandment. They are not even precepts. The Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount tells you what is close to Jesus' heart. We are told the stone jars are filled to the brim. Remember? They said 30, 40 gallons. Yeah. Jesus says, fill them to the brim, bring them to the full. It is to be taken to symbolize the abundance or overabundance of God and his grace now available to us under the Christian dispensation, as I call it. There is thus an abundance of grace for all of our legitimate needs. We are told that there is life and an abundance of it for all who follow Christ and adhere to him. Jesus says in John's gospel, I come so that they may have life and have it more abundantly. My friends, at Cana, Jesus changed water into wine and revealed his glory. Today, he challenges us to ask, is the water of our lives being changed into wine? Is the glory of God being revealed by our lives lived in compassion and forgiveness 
and mercy and love and hope and willingness to forgive? Do we bring these things to the daily tasks in our daily lives that they may enrich people around us? Because these two are places where the glory of God can show itself. Often we cannot choose the events that cross our paths or the issues to which we find ourselves involved in. Jesus came to this wedding, and there he encountered a need. We are called, you and I, to follow the Lord, not in places of our own choosing, but here and now, in this place, in this time, and in this community. Here and now is the path to which we will follow the Lord. The event of Cana, recorded by John, reminds us that great things can happen in any place and in every place and in any time. Jesus can change water into wine and wine into his precious blood. How much more can he do with other things like our lives? All of this is to transform our lives. I look at it and I see he can take my past and transform it into a future full of hope. He can take the small abilities that I have and make them into great instruments for his Father's glory and for his church on earth. In the celebration of the Eucharist, Christ can give us his power, his grace, to change all things for us. Here he can make ordinary things of our life into places of extraordinary graces. And my friends, our Lord Jesus still transforms water into wine every day. The question to ask yourself, are you still drinking just water and living on it? Or you're living on wine. Now, some of you live too much on wine and celebrate a little too much, but that time will come. But you understand the, the symbols and uh, the theological principles being put forth by John. It's amazing. There's much, much more. My friends, I am your shepherd here. I am your pastor. I'm not the pastor of other churches, whether they be in Tacoma or Bremerton Port Orchard, or Seattle. My, the ability I have is given by the Archbishop over you guys. And um, I am not the smartest person, but I am not exceedingly ignorant either, um, for that matter. Well, according to my professors. So my friends, I speak to you now as your pastor. About a month and a half ago, two months ago, I gave a homily. And in that homily, I said, when you encounter a situation where you don't know what to do or your heart is tugging at you or you're angry, ask yourself, what does love ask of me to do in this situation? My friends, in this past nine days within our faith community, many members of our community have become sick. Yes, the run-of-the-mill cold, uh, the perennial flu, COVID, and now some bug that's getting their stomachs. So I'm going to have to take uh, some temporary measures to try and curb this. And this is not only in our parish and our church, but in our community of, of Gig Harbor. 
and Pierce County. And uh, my friends, I want to be very clear with you. I bow no knee to any president. I bow no knee to any governor. I do not bow to any magistrates. I'm not disrespectful, but I bow only to my Lord. I am not ignorant, nor am I particularly filled with great anxiety. But when it comes to these illnesses, including COVID, I'm going to ask all of you to suspend your political intimations and all of your uh, subscriptions to whatever theory you might go to. And I want you to ask yourself, what does love ask you to do in this situation? What does it ask you to do? And then follow your heart and do it. My friends, I sometimes do not understand everything that magistrates talk about. Sometimes I don't even understand what the church's magisterium is up to. <laughs> uh, but what I do know is that I must be obedient to my authorities, and that I will be, because I'm supposed to, but also because there is a foe that watches, Satan. He does not care your reason for being disobedient, but if you are, he will be permitted to take advantage of that, and he will wreak havoc. So I will be obedient. But my friends, I ask you to follow your heart, and you make your decision. What does love ask of you to do in this situation? At least temporarily, what does it ask you to do? And then do it and follow it. My friends, um, I believe when this pandemic is over and done with and the world looks back, it will not be the financial and economic and physical damage that has been done. But the world will find that this pandemic has severely wreaked havoc emotionally and spiritually and has caused so much harm and division. And what is intolerable to me as your pastor is that the church is being divided by it. And there's hatred, and there's snarkiness, and dirty looks. This is of Satan. He desires it and wants it. Don't give him what he wants. Let us not fight. Let us not be snarky with each other. Let's not give each other dirty looks about this, but come together. We will move through this. We will. But I want to look back and have fewer regrets. But as I said, I believe the world will see that this pandemic did more damage emotionally and spiritually than anything else. But let us come together. Amen? Do I have anything else to talk about? No? <laughs> My friends, the good news is the, those of our community of St. Nicholas and Gig Harbor and Pierce County, they're beginning their recovery periods. So people are recovering. Uh, and again, it's not just COVID. I mean, there's the flu and then there's the cold. Many of our school families, staff, um, our numbers are down uh, at least by 100, 150 each mass because people are just sick. And now there's some stomach bug <laughs> going around. It's like, jeez. 
It's like the plagues of the Old Testament. <laughs> so uh, we pray, we be faithful, and we keep our hope going. Yes, we can do this. Amen. Amen.